Bones, Porch, Magic, Witchcraft, and a liminal approach to magical and pagan faith. <laughs> this is your grandmother's podcast. Uh, content warning, although I'm trying to even imagine. No, you will, we'll do it anyway. Content warning for the use of colorful language, general curmudgeonry. These opinions are our own, and we share them with you as practitioners following a crone's path. Yes, indeed. And this time we had the exciting opportunity to interview Dr. Joe Stallman. Um, and it was just such an awesome conversation. I don't want to spoil anything, so just get stuck in. <laughs> Grab it. Yep. Okay. Cool. So it should be recording. And then are you good to go? Yeah. I think it's your turn to say hi. Yeah, it is. Hi, Ian. <laughs> hi, Colin. Um, and also, hi, Joe. We have someone here with us. Um, and we will let him introduce himself. So please take it away. Hi. Um, thank. Well, first of all, thank you for the invitation here today. I really, uh, uh, I'm honored, really, that you guys wanted me to speak with the both of you. And uh, uh, my name is Dr. Joe Stallman. Uh, I am, uh, by training, I am an anthropologist, but um, I don't really limit myself to that title. I really... Uh, try to just use anthropology as a toolbox to get where I want to go. And we'll get mm -hmm. there today in this conversation. But, you know, my PhD is in anthropology, sociocultural anthropology. Uh, I've been doing this for about 30 years. Currently, I work for Seneca Nation of Indians. That's their BIA government name, mm -hmm. <laughs> Seneca Nation of Indians, but they actually just prefer Seneca Nation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I've been working for them for the last five years, uh, but I've been in the field for about 30 and I have uh, covered a whole range of uh, topics and projects. And so in my lifetime, I have done archaeology, I have done medical anthropology. Uh, mm -hmm. Within the world of medical anthropology, I looked at how state medical institutions uh, disseminated HIV AIDS information to indigenous peoples. Uh, that was really interesting because uh, in Mexico, a lot of people don't realize that the oil industry funds the, uh, uh, the medicine, the medical care for everyone in the nation. So it's free through the oil industry. Interesting. And so uh, all medicine, biomedical uh, uh, practice is all done through this fund. However, uh, the nation, the government claims to be secular, but everyone's a Catholic or something, yeah. right? Everyone mm -hmm. has a spiritual following. And so I looked at how people's uh, personal baggage or spiritual baggage influenced mm -hmm. that, that sterile biomedical knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in a multicultural town and I quickly learned that uh, everyone was biased in the, in the information that they gave everybody. Mm. But the communities, the indigenous communities were translating that information into new models of folk illness. Okay. Ooh. Get into their way of thinking. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I've done coffee production throughout Latin America. Uh, I have lived in uh, South Africa, where I was a research assistant for my partner who was looking at informal education systems mm. amongst uh, the multi-diverse community down there. There's so many indigenous communities, but there's also a lot of immigrant communities in mm. South Africa. And so she looked at education there, and that was eye-opening. Um, I, I, I've done a lot of stuff. Uh, and for me, uh, I'm always, I have the ideal worldview and uh, colonization in mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And so I, I know you guys have probably heard of that catchphrase, right? Colonization and mm -hmm. decolonization movements yep. amongst uh, indigenous folks. However, while I was working on my PhD, I was looking at some worldview stuff and um, I, I'm a big fan of philosophies and theory. And one of the people that I really like and gravitate towards is uh, Michel Foucault. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, he looked at the rise of institutions and yep. uh, other these other structures of oppressions, right? Mm -hmm. And it's through moralities and it makes a leap from religious institutions into these quote unquote secular institutions. Yep, right. And one of the takeaways of Foucault for me is that uh, what he's actually talking about is institutionalization and how does he become de-institutionalized from those structures? Mm -hmm. Because he was on the fringe. Uh, I don't know what you guys know about Foucault, but uh, he was a very interesting person. And I yep. encourage you to look up his personal life because it really plays a role in his philosophies and theories. 100%. Very interesting queer theorist. Yes. Yeah. Very much a big fan of Foucault. Very much a fan of postmodernism. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so uh, he was talking about the institutionalization of himself, really within these uh, structures, yeah. right? And how you have all of these uh, sites of control, either through apparatuses that can be seen or unseen. And so mm -hmm. we're conforming. And so I really made that, uh, I made a connection to this idea of uh, colonization very early on. It's the same thing that he's talking about, but he's yep. talking about it from a Westerner perspective. And that I found that really helpful in my uh, research because a lot of people think I study indigenous peoples and I, I do to a degree, but what I really study is uh, European uh, derived institutions. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I'm interested in, because I feel like they're killing culture. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and they do it in a lot of ways. And, you know, we have given up a lot of power and, uh, uh, and we have just power, uh, power is a funny word. We have just kind of let certain companies and uh, institutions and apparatuses of the state kind of lead the idea of how it is to have culture and family. Mm -hmm. And I know this sounds a little conservative, but it's not. I, I'm really looking at it as a, uh, an anthropologist, and there's no judgment in anything that I'm saying. But it's really a fear for all cultures across the world, because yeah. I see, because yeah. culture is really important. Culture gives us everything that we need. Mm -hmm. uh, how we have our inner relationships with ourselves, but also with our relationships with the world around us, human and non-human. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when we allow uh, uh, companies or governments to make decisions without uh, having that localized knowledge in the mix, uh, we lose stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so for me, I, I, I try to uh, remind people that we all have things at stake here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of, you, you can't, the com, culture is a commodity, is a problem. Like, you shouldn't have to buy your own culture. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's a huge part of, I think, part of conversations in paganism, too, is we can become mainstream enough that you can buy all your stuff. Yes. And that comes with its own problems instead of being in community doing stuff. Yeah, especially, so both of us work with college age populations, uh, both in a little bit of interfaith spaces, uh, usually with pagan 
kids uh, who are interested in this stuff and they some of them come with they bought the kit they bought the book they subscribe to the Instagram page and it works to about like 50% but they miss you know having the conversations about well what is your ancestry like what are the the paths that call to you they have they don't they almost can't think about it they can't conceptualize it because they don't have that connection they thought that they could buy it off the internet and be good yeah yeah and sometimes it's just a reaction to how they felt oppressed at home growing yeah you know and i i get that too you know we all went through a stage of rebellion Mm -hmm. Uh, no i i yeah i really get it a lot it's on all levels of life though where everything has been commodified but even some stuff is not commodified but we don't have any connection to it anymore yeah right and uh and i find that really problematic right because there are a lot of charlatans out there who are trying to sell people holisms. That's true. Yeah. Well, could you actually describe holism to our viewers? I don't know if our listeners, I always think they're viewers. They don't watch these on videos. They listen to this on Spotify. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> holisms. Uh, so uh, like I said, you know, I have an interest in philosophies and uh, theories. And so uh, in graduate school, you know, I started looking at, uh, I started getting deeper into indigenous thought and theories. Mm. And so for me, you know, uh, everything that I was reading was actually written by non-natives looking in, right? They're, they're, uh, they're gazing through a window into a, into someone's home, into someone's mm-hmm. home culture, right? And they're looking through a not very clear glass. And so it dawned on me early, early on that these anthropologists and even just, uh, you know, culture collectors were really trying to describe things from their own window, from their own uh, lens, right? And so Western culture really has a duality. There's like a good and bad, white and... Uh, uh, a white and black, right? And there's, but we all live in a world of grays. Mm-hmm. So let's just stay in white and black for a minute, right? And so uh, people would try to divide indigenous culture, belief, thought, uh, customary practices into these hard categories like religion, uh, magic, medicine, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it really wasn't like that. And, but I was so confused because I was trying to make sense out of anthropology because that was one of the things that I thought I wanted to be when I grew up. And so I had to go to the philosophies of Euro-Americans to actually understand what they were talking about. And, and, you know, I quickly found my way to uh, Rene Descartes, Mm -hmm. who believes in dualisms. And, uh, you know, I know enough history of uh, Europe of the uh, of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, that I know that uh, Descartes was really limited by the structures of his religion and how he professed uh, philosophies. Yeah, and so he has these really hard categories and their dualities, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're really like he believes that the world operates in binary code, but from what I understood of indigenous culture and what I saw around me was not that at all. I, I saw where there was an integration. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of dualities because we do think about things in whites and blacks, but at the same time, we don't forget about the grays in between. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about holism, it's more like the, uh, the complementary holisms that you would see in Eastern Asia. 
mm-hmm. you know, like I get people to think about yin yang, you know, you know, you got the circle with the white half and the black half. And if you were to follow Eastern religions, you know, there's a lot of uh, balancing holism. So if that white side is going to tweak some, that black side tweaks to balance out. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was seeing in indigenous cultures is I, uh, it's not really a harmony. You work to try to get to harmony, but that's kind of like a fiction in itself, but you do your best to get there. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, 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 this sliding scale between white and black, but you're always in the gray moving along. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's how I saw the world. And yeah. so there are dualities there. Mm-hmm but it's actually a holism that we're actually trying to maintain. And so through the practices of life, it doesn't matter if it's ceremony, education, family, interpersonal affairs, we're always tweaking those relationships to keep that harmony to the best of our abilities. Yeah. Within that framework of thought, that's where I started thinking about indigenous knowledges and how they interact with each other, uh, the world around them. And the more that I see it, the more that I realized that, you know, these moments in history where you were seeing these uh, treaties between uh, non-natives and native peoples, you know, you see all of this uh, uh, transpiring, but you actually see the indigenous world uh, bringing in European culture into our world over here. But within those discussions, nature and gender and all of those things are always part of those discussions. And that's one of the things that Europeans never got. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> we never brought that back. No, yeah, but it's, it's really hard if it's not your world. Yeah, but it's very interesting because we have that kind of thought uh, as pagan communities, either through reconstruction or through uh, what would be the other rebuilding, reimagination, reimagination, are trying to find those worldviews again, trying to find something that is integrated to both. But we see a lot of pagan communities still having their their religious life segregated off from their personal life. They'll do their magic in their circle and when they go to ritual, but they never talk about it in their regular everyday life. They never incorporate the values. They never do the things that either have been reconstructed or reimagined, such as uh, the, what are the Norse values to live by? Yeah, those values. Well, I mean, like one of them, for instance, if we're talking about like treaties and agreements is absolutely abhorrent to that particular system to breach a contract or a treaty or yeah. an agreement or an oath like it's it's divine it's sacred and divine and by doing so you upset everything huh? exactly. You, 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 yeah <laughs> exactly i agree with you guys uh wholeheartedly all the way from the dilettantes who pretend mm-hmm. to the integration of the importance of keeping uh words they're not temporary they're supposed to be forever Mm -hmm. yeah if you if you've spoken an oath especially like within uh the norse tradition like over a horn you're not just speaking it in this world you're speaking it through to fate itself you've bound it tight into the fabric of the world like it's you can't you you follow or you you reap the consequences yeah Mm -hmm. very much so But, you know, that's one of the things that I saw in my studies of European history and cultures. Like I saw the, like, it feels like I'm picking on Christianity and 
I, I understand the purpose of this podcast, but I am not picking on Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I do see it how it has been this uh, this mechanism for all of this change, you know, growing from like the Middle East across the Mediterranean, and it just like changes everything that it touches. And it's one of the few religions in the world that's really a proselytizing one, right? Yeah. And so because it's a proselytizing one, it changes cultures in every shape and form. Mm-hmm. It changes the matrilineal to the patrilineal and it causes confusion in the homes. It causes disruptions. It creates yeah. imbalances because we already had balance. And that's what's been disrupted and people don't understand that. And I work in a very like secular world and I have to bring that messaging to uh, scholars who are expecting a very secular answer. Mm -hmm. But what I tell them is that you guys disrupted things. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I have to use uh, uh, tangible examples like trade and how something like a metal pot ruined the balance between uh, genders uh, within the home community, but also the gender relationships of men and women with nature in their daily practices Mm -hmm. and is it's and it's never secular it's like i said it's integrated and it's Mm -hmm. uh, deeply tied to people's relationships with mother earth and it's really changing still and i'm still worried about it because you know you see culture you know on social media thriving but you know i see cultures subcultures all over the world uh kind of suffering right now and it does worry me yeah it has been a central part of even this podcast but even our own independent work yes we try never to pick on religions in particular about beliefs but when they are centered around subjugation or centered around proselytization and control then it starts to become a problem because then people don't have the freedom to move and discover and build cultural lineage. They are being forced into a box, often not made for them, and then being shamed when they obviously poke its edges or don't fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, when Europeans did come here, uh, indigenous folks did incorporate them into uh, uh, treaty making the indigenous way. And uh, they also allowed Europeans to bring in their own symbols like chains and hearts. Mm-hmm. And they were actually incorporated into indigenous ways of doing. And, and people just don't realize that indigenous peoples wanted Europeans to be part of that process, but they weren't trying to change them. They were trying to make them feel more inclusive by incorporating the, their symbols. Right. And because everyone does have autonomy from the individual up through the collective nation. And Europeans didn't really understand that because they believe in everything as being hard to find categories. And so you see all of these uh, quote unquote frontier narratives of where a Seneca man or an Onondaga man or a Lene Lenape man killed another European man. And the Europeans would use that as a pretext to go attack the whole nation, Mm -hmm. right? And that is just, uh, that didn't happen prior to Europeans coming here. Mm -hmm. And so when we have to revisit that history, it's always glossed over with that dominant European perspective that, you know, there were agitators out there. 
mm-hmm. right? There was war was provoked. And it's like, no, that was a transgression between two people. Yeah. So can you uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing now? Like where your work is taking you now? Uh, yeah. So I, I do a lot of stuff still. Uh, I like to stay busy. Uh, have projects. So uh, right now I work for Seneca Nation and I do their Tribal Historic Preservation Office, which is uh, grounded in historic preservation. And so I work uh, with uh, within the community. I will I will help uh, facilitate local events and uh, annual ceremonies. Uh, uh, commemorations Mm -hmm. and so there's been things that have happened over time and so throughout the year we will have walks runs picnics or something commemorating an event so i help organize those i try to bring attention to uh, seneca history through uh, talks through classes through events uh, and then on a broader level, I work on uh, with other state uh, historic preservation offices, SHPOs, where we will address uh, what people call archaeological or historical uh, issues going on in development. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I have had to deal with a number of things where there will be like a green energy company wanting to build on a indigenous burial ground. Uh And so you find yourself in a funny space because I believe in green energy (laughs) and (laughs) minimizing our use of fossil fuels. But yet I am tasked with, uh, you know, making sure that hollowed ground is protected. Mm-hmm. right that's sacred space and it should be honored as such uh we honor everyone else's ceremonial spaces right either their churches synagogues uh, cemeteries and so we ask for the same thing right and however you know people have these arguments and uh perspectives where uh our current energy needs are more important than that Mm-hmm. But I, I find it if we're not respectful to all layers of life, once again, that holism, that integration, mm-hmm. you know, with the past, because it's part of our future, uh, then we don't have much of a future if we don't even honor that past. So mm-hmm. I do that kind of stuff. Uh, what else do I do? I do NAGPRA. I do NAGPRA related stuff. Uh, lately, that job has changed uh, because there's been a bunch of regs put forth by the federal government that museums and other institutions that receive federal funds, they have to comply with these regs in order to keep their funding. Mm-hmm. And so out of the woodwork, like dozens of museums are knocking at our door saying, hey, can we talk about the stuff that we hold? when they could have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And you know what? They don't realize they think each their own institution is the most important institution. And they don't realize that maybe I got 14 or 16 other institutions wanting to do this. Right. (laughs) Or if we work through a repatriation, you know, where we get their paperwork settled, who, who, whose remains, should go where and you know 
what that might look like. You know, it's really kind of a complicated thing. But, you know, once we get through all of that paperwork, uh, they think that we're ready to come and take everybody home when they don't realize how small the offices are or how understaffed we might be yep. or that we're working on other repatriations. And it's compounded. I know. Hold on. <laughs> it's also <laughs> compounded because there's a lot of uh, social activists out there right now who are trying to whistleblow. And what they're what they don't realize that they're doing is uh, sometimes it's a good thing and it gets the institution moving where it needs to be. But there's other instances where it's actually complicating my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're actually forcing me to uh, look at this one issue that they think is the most important issue. And they're making me spend all of my attention on that thing. Mm hmm when they don't realize that we have all of these other endeavors going on and we might even have an ongoing relationship with that institution and they're not taking it into account. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like people who, who know what they're doing should know, know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. I just had to go get more coffee. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, I just wanted to ask. Um, I know that we we wanted to um, keep everything conversational and whatnot, but is there any other context that you 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 think it's important for our listeners to know about, like um, either what you were speaking about before, or what were you know what we all came on on today for? Uh, so uh, I wasn't done talking about what I do. So that's my nine to five job. So that's my nine to five, but I continue to do uh, projects and I take on other endeavors. And so uh, right now, uh, I also consult with museums, helping them uh, organize their NAGPRA collections, how to begin those conversations. Uh, you know, I they're really shocked when they go in there because I go into the back spaces where the other nation members wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. And I go back there and I, and I take a look. And so one part of my past career that a lot of people don't realize is that I worked in, uh, in the back rooms of museums and repositories. And so I have seen every state of con- and condition of these repositories mm-hmm. from really awesome ones where the old uh, paper cards, the five by seven index cards actually correlate with the online database with the shelving. Mm-hmm. Those are really rare instances, but, and then there's others where they say, oh yeah, we did all of the human remains and you open up a box and there will be burnt human bone. And so it's like a whole range of things that I've seen. And so I try to help them understand their collections and how to uh, uh, do it as quickly and efficiently and uh, sensitively as possible. And so they can move forward without being embarrassed because one of the things that I realized very early on is that people, uh, institutions are, are like people and they're run by people and they're very embarrassed by their closets sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, I help them realize that they can clean out their closets without being embarrassed about it. Right. The initial embarrassment is opening the door. Everything else is getting the work done and there is no embarrassment. There shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And th I'm, that's the way that I have to operate. If we're all embarrassed about who we are and how things have been in the past, we wouldn't do anything. We would try to hide everything. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you back there. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Uh, so I do that. Uh, I also stop, uh, people are really quick to cancel art. And so I have uh, side jobs where I will speak back to uh, public art, American art, and other uh, so-called, so you know, bad guys over time who have been uh, pulled out of the, uh, you know, bits of their history have been pulled out where they might have been a womanizer or an abuser or, or something like that. And uh, I, I look for ways to make sure that that part of history, you know, their contributions to history aren't really thrown away. Because mm -hmm. maybe that we don't agree with the agree with anything that they might stand for now. But there's reasons why we just can't cancel everything. Mm -hmm. We need to hold on to this stuff. We need to continue to have conversations. And in places like the United States, we haven't got to uh, a reconciliation state yet. And so we need all of that bad, terrible art because it's all part of a national ideology that has been uh, pushed on people for almost 250 years. Mm -hmm. And it plays into this ongoing idea of empire making of the United States. And if we're going to have a future as a country and as a society and a larger culture, we need to have everything at hand so we can have that discussion. We mm -hmm. need to understand the role that national art plays into these ideologies. And they uh -huh. really do. 100%. And yeah. so for me, I don't want to cancel anyone. And sometimes the people that want to be canceled are quite innocent. You know, they were just operating with a limited toolbox or a window into a past. And so some of the representations that they might have created in the past aren't the most realistic now, but it doesn't mean that we have to cancel them. It just means they weren't educated enough to know. But at the same time, not everyone's an anthropologist and they can't understand what they're always looking at. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so we have to forgive people. And I hope when I die and pass on, you know, all of that closet stuff that I didn't have to address or whatever in my life, you know, if it ever comes up or whatever, I hope people forgive me, you know? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what he did? Yeah. What in college? I like. I don't know. But you know what I mean. But and and you know, it's a funny world. And I I just think people we need to explain things sometimes. And mm -hmm. that's the role that I have as a doctor, right? And so I do speak back to things. And if it is really terrible stuff, I'm not going to hide that fact. Mm -hmm. You know, but I'm going to talk about it as a. Uh, objectively as possible yeah yeah because we can do both we can see the bad stuff and critique it and we can understand their importance we both of us working with college students are also doing that all the time we get students that come in with they did a bad thing everything they do is now bad and must eliminate it and we're like no no that's not how the world works I know. we can appreciate their contributions to art and culture and a profession and so contextualize themselves in their history the era they came from the things that they said like we can do both yeah but remember going back to Foucault we're all institutionalized yeah <laughs> right yeah and so sometimes we're institutionalized and we're enculturated with toxic kind of values you know this word toxic right 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's how people believe that's how the world is. And Especially so, in this internet. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to get into reconciliation right now. Mm-hmm. And so by, you know, by having that stuff in mind, it's really important for us to change people and not cancel them. Mm-hmm. And so in indigenous cultures, in the, in the creation of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the most wicked and most evil uh, chief out there was an evil magical wizard who had snakes for hair. And no one tried to kill him. What they did was try to uh, change his mind on how he saw the world. And so they eventually did. They kept singing beautiful songs to him until his heart changed. Mm-hmm. And when his heart changed, they actually made him the most important chief of the Confederacy. So he would have the responsibility of making sure that everyone else uh, behaved in ways that was uh, beneficial to all. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I try to keep at the forefront, right? So this is how I'm not a dilettante practitioner. I have those stories and I try to keep them at the forefront of what everything that I do. And I don't look at certain characters of uh, our contemporary life and just see them as evil, bad, or an evildoer or whatever. I see the potential of a good person within each of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the lesson that uh, I got out of our traditional stories. And so in order to do this, we need to have reconciliation because not every person out there is a bad guy. And so America is very dualistic right now. And uh, the only one way that I will talk about it is between red and blue, right? Democrats and Republicans. People treat it like it's a civil war and it's actually one family, right? And there's supposed to be discussion. And America is a country that is 51% majority. And so when that 51% wins, the rest of the people are supposed to come on board and work with the other side and accept that representative for -hmm. whatever reason has been that chosen leader, because that's what it is. It's a 51% majority here Mm -hmm. and no one does it. No one accepts each other's representatives anymore. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's really trying to see that no one's bad or wrong or whatever, you know, all of these negative words that we hold on to, that is actually, uh, it's a matter of having people understand. And that's why I like to public speak at this point in my life, because we have to change minds. Because if we don't change minds, and if we don't get into the practice of doing peace, And sometimes peace is as simple as talking to another person about how you see the world. Mm -hmm. And if we don't keep that practice going, guess what? That continuum is going to move over towards the black for war, Mm -hmm. right? And it's going to move away from that white of peace. And so in that practice of life, we got to keep it moving towards peace. And we can't look at the other side as being wrong or as bad or ignorant or rural, or whatever negative term that we're going to create for them, we have to have each other understand. We got to find common spaces where we can speak to each other. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I am, I am processing that because I often struggle with the, uh, like, black and white labeling of others. So that's something in myself that I, it's, is, is in need of reassessment. <laughs> Institutionalization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's hard. exactly what it is, right? And we've been encultured that way. Yeah, because we've been 
in culture to also think that every time we incorporate or meet someone that is evil or wrong and we try to have the positive of their possibly we also then try to carry that it's our responsibility as individuals when we should have a be able to rely on a community to pull people in not always make it our problem because we you know with students again i'm always thinking of them they feel tired because they feel it's always their individual responsibility to change people's mind about queerness or about the whatever it is and while i love that that they don't necessarily see everyone as evil and they've kind of started to unlearn that they still need to then unlearn the other side of it's not their individual responsibility they should be able to identify someone who is ready to start that journey of whatever it is of learning about another culture or learning about another group and have a community to help them pull them in so it's not their own individual responsibility because it's hard mm -hmm. to do it by yourself yeah but you know we all have limitations too right mm -hmm. none of us are perfect and even though i'm here with you guys talking about all of these things i have to work through it every day myself right mm -hmm. i have to tease apart all of that uh all of that enculturation that's been penetrated into my life it, it's from like rock music arnold schwarzenegger mu uh, movies guy <laughs> joe as a kid right all of this stuff just impacted me on how it was to be a male Mm -hmm. And so as I continue to grow and evolve, I have to uh, uh, address some of that stuff in a lot of funny ways sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I also know that as smart as the youth, the, the next generation is, they also have their limitations too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes I'm expected to ask for everyone's pronouns, but when I walk into a room, everyone assumes that my pronouns are he and him and with, and they never ask me. Mm -hmm. Right. No yeah. one ever asked me what my pronouns yeah. are. Everyone assumes they know what my pronouns are. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, I do that to students all the time. They expect everyone to ask them, but they never ask others. <laughs> like, it goes both ways. <laughs> You have to give a hand to receive a hand. <laughs> no, no, but I, yeah. I, I'm really gentle, though, you know. Yeah. But it, it's just, <laughs> I'm also a parent. Hmm. I'm also a teacher. And uh, I see the value of being a teacher. And so, uh, you know, teaching's really changed in the last couple decades. Uh, public schools, home life, uh, universities. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like things are becoming like battlegrounds of who has sovereignty in those spaces. So uh, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about mm -hmm. culture, yeah. right? It is really hard, I, I, you know, working in universities, both of us, I mean, I'm personally constantly seeing the, the gray classes, you know, the humanities classes, the ones that are about exploration and about, yes, we're gonna learn a thing, but we're gonna explore how that thing sits in culture and sits in history and sits in whatever, are slowly disappearing in favor of the credentialing classes, the ones that are like, here's how to be a good employee and a good soldier and a good yeah. cop. <laughs> and that's because that's how you get hired in this world. And that's how you get a job. And that's mm -hmm. how you participate in capitalism and all those frou-frou things of philosophy and free thought, uh, gender exploration, all the humanities, soft sciences are slowly disappearing because they don't make money. Literature classes are dying out by becoming just fights over what can we read and what's good to read yeah um so i'm in a lot of like public history archaeological 
um, folklore, those types of circles, you know, those public spaces where people mm-hmm. talk about history and whatnot. And it's really dying off. And it is scary, too, because, uh, you know, we do have a generation of baby boomers who are clutching onto those roles. And they're not letting this generation of younger scholars take uh, the helm. Um, And I find that it's almost it's potentially devastating to our fields right now, because uh, you're absolutely right, because those uh, grayer areas of college education and exploration are going away, mm-hmm. like business schools. You know, ever since the 90s, they put a they imposed a business model on universities where you checked out with your courses. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really solidified at this point. And now they're killing off things like uh, languages and the humanities and the arts. And these are the spaces where I see the most critical in our public space. And these are the spaces I think that are the most powerful to keep peace and make peace. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I see, uh, like I was talking about, I see uh, a group of baby boomers in a lot of these fields holding on because they fear about the future of it. And they don't realize that they can die at the desk, kind of like Ginsburg did. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And Uh and there's no future there waiting for them to take over ahead of time while they're still there to be a mentor to be a nurturer mm-hmm. instead they think they have to drive the damn ship until they die at the the little steering wheel yep yeah <laughs> and uh we need younger scholars in there we need them working we need them to get established and i'm not seeing that no and especially in those places that like for me for the from the pagan perspective too of like those things that create meaning, those meaning-making experiences, like folklore, like uh, stories, uh-huh. um, myths, beliefs, talking to other people, being in those yep. in yep. that community is so important, and I don't see much more of it happening. And if it is, it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. Like convincing them, like, oh, stay behind after ritual to hang out and talk. And they're yeah. like, nope, I gotta go back home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i this is why i agreed to talk with y'all because uh <laughs> i i thought that we would hit common ground at this point yeah and i think we have yeah definitely do you have any but i also really like the banter between you two <laughs> <laughs> i did i i i've never listened to a podcast you, your guy yours was the first one that i listened to ever and Thank i've been you. on many <laughs> i'll scroll through them real quick to get the idea right but mm-hmm. you guys were the first ones where i just started listening i, well, I really enjoyed you. it yeah <laughs> i mean uh, a lot of a lot of what you've been talking about is really important to me personally although mm-hmm. like you said it's sort of stuff you have to work on yourself with every day and i can't by any means say that i'm as good as i talk sometimes but that's the thing our podcast has always been our almost live journal of us yeah. going through we've disagreed with our podcast seasons later of no nope, mm-hmm. we didn't don't like that what we did a year ago and that's i think the joy of this podcast at least for me mm-hmm. yeah well that's good that means you're still uh you're continuously uh taking in new stimuli and you're processing even further and that's great none of us should be owning our ideologies right yeah, mm-hmm. that becomes a, uh, one of those dividing lines. Those, that's what creates the dualities when we really own something like 
you know, uh, abortion, you know, everyone owns it, but they don't take it case by case of why these types of uh, procedures might happen in someone's life, right? Mm -hmm. They just impose it all because it's an ideology and they can't, no, none of us should or shouldn't. You know, we, we have to really think about things broadly and it's ever changing and you're going to come across a situation that's going to alter what you believe and you're not going to know what to do with it because you fixed yourself into these parameters. 100%. Mm-hmm. That's why that gray area is so important to me. And I keep returning to it in our discussion today. Yep. That's why it's so scary for people because the gray area provides, to at least to someone who's lived in black and white thinking, it provides no stability. But mm-hmm. it's convincing people that the gray area actually has a lot of stability and that fluidity is in itself a stability. You don't have to try to uphold something that is doomed to fail at some point because it will meet a situation or a context it can't succeed in and that's why we have the gray area to be able to slide and move around yeah and you know we're never fixed every day we wake up you know our hormones are different the way we slept is different yep the way you know my cat bothers me most nights and so that affects my sleep and it affects who i am the next day (laughs) right Mm -hmm. yeah and and so i'm never the same joe Mm-hmm. Love that. <laughs> Get around the shirt. <laughs> Do you have a like a wrap up question? Not really. I'm just also, as we've been talking, realizing how important it is. Like um, these, the all these things we've been talking about, and you know how not owning our ideology, but growing in it, also comes down to finding the people who have done it already or who have wisdom that you didn't you haven't talked about before and so I really appreciate you coming and speaking with us Joe because that's this has been really really great it's really hard to grow in a bubble (laughs) it is (laughs) no it is and we do we get stuck in our silos right and that was what you were talking about a little bit ago Ian after ceremonies people want to go home and they should maybe uh have those relationships Mm-hmm. build on those relationships because it also builds your practice mm-hmm. and it builds your belief and it makes you understand more and more how you are part of this universal voice this universal energy and it's really important for us to know that and once we know that we begin to treat each other better as human beings and maybe we won't want to destroy our world so quick mm-hmm. yes And that's what I try to bring in with my indigenous knowledge, right? Like I'm forced to label everything at some point, but really what it is, is just me paying attention to the world around me with the things that have been enculturated in me and trying to make sense out of all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that at this conjuncture that where I see things is that I find it necessary for us to return to those, uh, to those categories that we maybe call animisms, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, it keeps us uh, in tune it keeps us important to our word and how our gift giving and those relationships like I encourage people to go out and hug a tree you know people make fun of hippies <laughs> and call them tree huggers but you know what go hug a tree once it will change your life really if you understand that it embodies certain energies that you can never really understand Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we understand anything about a tree nowadays it's really from an extractive form of knowledge like how do you cut it down and turn it into lumber and cellulose and all of that other stuff right 
when yep. actually there's a whole different energy source about the tree. And, and that's what I tried to, with what I know, that's what I tried to spread, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things like we should have value in everything. Is, we just can't be a throwaway society. No, 100%. Well, that is, this has been a wonderful conversation. I do want to ask, um, you know, if our, our listeners are interested in either following your work or uh, learning more about what you do, do you have a, either a place that you capture all this or is there one opportunity they should be listening to this episode? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not even sure. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I'm the worst self-promoter. But I actually prefer it that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not on social media or anything, but I prefer word of mouth. I think the old way of doing that word of mouth mm-hmm. has actually been really beneficial for me because I'm not out there presenting a false picture of myself trying to yeah. sell myself. Mm-hmm. And I understand that branding that we need to have in our modern world, but I, I don't try to go there because what I want to talk about is really important because I'm not hearing it. And so I don't want that outer shell that I'm trying to present to the world as being a distraction to the inner message that I want to get out. hundred percent. So I don't have Facebook or anything like that. I actually don't know the words very well. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I wish I didn't either, but I'm a, like, uh, I used to confuse Twitter with Instagram all, uh, Instagram all the time, <laughs> thinking yeah. they were like the same thing or something, when in fact, there were two different platforms. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so if I'm on the web at all, it's at the invitation of other folks like yourselves who are invited yeah. to their spaces. And so that's the only thing that I have. Yeah, I would definitely love maybe in our in the description of this episode, if you're on Spotify, uh, maybe we can capture some of those other podcasts that you've been on so people can, you know, kind of yeah. traverse some of the other episodes you've been on to hear more about your perspective and maybe discover some new podcasts along the way. Yeah, yeah. So I do talk a lot about a, a range of things from like arts, indigenous mm-hmm. arts, American arts, to cultural anthropology, to burial rights. Uh, all sorts of things, rights of personhood for Lake Erie. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. working with a bunch of folks in the Erie area right now, and that idea seems to be growing. And you're probably going to see more on that. Good. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, with the- upcoming commemorations like the Erie Canal and the American Revolution, I've been trying to get involved in that because those are also great spaces to begin this idea of reconciliation. Yeah, because this is where it begins for America. This is their creation story, right? It's one of where they're born of fire, of war, of death, of defeating the enemy. Yep. And if you were to follow indigenous peoples and peoples of the earth, uh, no matter how you call them, pagans, animist, you know, they always talk about being born from the earth. There's some kind of a womb and a birthing process, and then you come from it. Americans have this Romanesque. a creation story where it's uh, one of violence. Yeah. But I think American Revolution is a great space to begin that idea of reconciliation. And so the 250th is coming up. And so I've been trying to get public space where I can maybe get Americans to begin talking about this more, about those inequities that arose, how property ownership kind of was a driver for driving Indian peoples off their territories, mm-hmm. for enslavement 
for mm-hmm. gender inequities, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a great time to do it, but I'm having a hard time getting any traction because the older folks want to talk about the battles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, and I can send it to you as well. I do know a space in Ohio, basically on Lake Erie, I think that would be really open to what, what you're talking about. It's a, it's a pagan, pagan place, but they, I think they would be, they might be open to that. I would go there and do a, a, a teaching. That would be great. Yeah. That's your space. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank and you I so do much. take advantage of those moments and I will go yeah. and talk to people and I won't even, uh, I'm not out to get rich actually. So I don't really care about money, but you know, just pay for my gas and feed me. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'll see what we're doing on campus too. I didn't even re- put together the 250 is coming up. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's an opportunity for, uh, for me and my role on campus to do some, inject some education around reconciliation with indigenous folks you know we have a large uh, uh population of color on campus so maybe we can make a week out of it now i'm having ideas (laughs) Uh and so younger americans newer americans uh they also feel like well i don't have a role in that there wasn't any uh chinese people then you know people have said this kind of things to me they have said you know there there weren't uh chinese people then or here then or minnesota wasn't here however uh ev- americans and america is an immigrant country and so yes. everyone comes here and so if you're coming here to become an american that means you got to buy into the paperwork and you yes. got to buy into the history and you got to yes. buy into all the baggage that comes with being american so you have to yes. deal with it as well and so yes. we all have a voice in this american 250th yeah, but I really love your your perspective about the creation story of America. It's putting a bunch of dots together for me as a way to get the education going again, because I don't think many of our students, even our faculty and staff, haven't heard that perspective of really thinking about 1776 as a creation story of, of violence. It is. Yeah. It yeah. is. <laughs> hey, uh, one last thing. Uh, yeah. I want you guys to uh, look at a picture on the uh, dome of the Capitol building. It's mm-hmm. a painting. It's a mural of George Washington. Yeah. I want you to go read about it. Yes. And, it's the, uh, oh, what's the word? Come on, what's words become a god? Apotheosis. Yes. Apotheosis of uh, George Washington. Yes. Yeah. It's a painting of him becoming a god. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's one of my talking points that I've been working through. I'm going to start talking about soon. Yeah. That's, oh, that's I seen it in I, yeah, that's definitely important. I've never seen it in person. I went to I DC have. right before COVID, but the building was locked down for something. I don't really <laughs> want to see it in person because it's such a, a strange painting mm-hmm. for what America tries to pass off as its mm-hmm. birth versus what we literally painted on the ceiling of the Capitol. I know. <laughs> yeah. Strange. Definitely. Hey, if you guys ever want to talk again, uh, it doesn't have to be podcast, but maybe it is. But uh, I would love to talk to you guys again. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I really like hanging out for an hour with both of you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I felt like I was a little wordy, but you know that's why I get invited to these things to talk. So I'm yeah. going to take advantage yeah. of that space. Exactly. That's what we brought here. It's a podcast. <laughs> By definition, wordy. <laughs> I'm good. I hate to see the transcription. It's probably like, because yeah. I know I talk quick sometimes. I love it. Hey, can I show you one last thing of why I shut the door? 
Absolutely. Of course. Do you see all the birds? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners, we're being showed lots of uh, guinea fowl guinea <laughs> just sitting on a, a banister. <laughs> and they get so loud. They get so loud. All uh, right. Nature. <laughs> uh, I do have to get going. My morning, right. my morning keeps moving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much again. For being oh, yeah. Here. Thank you for inviting me. It was a real pleasure. And I and I, I hope we do speak to you again, both on and off podcast. Oh, yeah. One, I think our listeners will always value from this, but I'm personally valuing this a lot. So. Yeah. Well, Colin, I have your number. Uh, Ian, yes. I don't have yours. Uh, Colin, uh, feel I free to share. give Ian my number yeah. and uh, we can always just chit chat, talk. If you have a question, just send me a text. 100%. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to you guys again. 100%. Yeah. Right. Bye. Bye, Joe. <laughs> Okay, and thank you so much to our listeners for joining this episode of the Crohn's Porch. Uh, I guess I don't have any summarizing thoughts to do. No, I think that was that was really awesome, and I would also like to special thank you to our significant others for suffering through in silence while we yes, recorded in the tiny apartment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll, I guess, see you next time on the Crohn's Porch. Uh, yeah, uh, and I will say, Scott, please.